Guidecast episode 10, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing episode 410, Die All, Die Merrily. So we're just going to dive right in here and off the bat say we're very, very sorry for how late this episode is. Um, Like we told you last time, we are both in a really crazy month for both personal and work-related travel and it's just kind of been all over the map with us. So we're trying to get these in as fast um, and as efficient as possible, but please bear with us as we get all of these episodes late for the rest of the season. We're really sorry. And we'll stop apologizing after this because (laughs) I think we apologize a lot on this show. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just wanted to remind you guys that we're not just lazy. (laughs) We have other things to do, like our jobs. Um, So yeah, what did you you think about this episode? I, I mean, this episode was quite an episode. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it, I think overall, I felt fantastic about it. I thought it was a phenomenally um, shot and choreographed episode. Yes. Some things happened that I didn't love, but I also think that the way that the show handled most of, most of this episode was really um, fleshed out and... It was, it was it was good, but it wasn't my favorite. I will say that um, for an episode 10, you know, they're typically pretty big episodes in the 100, and I thought this definitely did not disappoint. This yeah. was exactly what I was expecting. They delivered in terms of action and, um, and tension and high stakes, and while I agree that there were some things that I felt could have been handled a little bit better, I think overall they did a really phenomenal job. Um, yeah. Okay. So before we get into the recap, I did want to say, um, thank you very much to Bookish Chick for giving us a really awesome review on iTunes. Um, I noticed in your review that you mentioned that you hope that we'll go back and recap earlier seasons of the hundred. And I can say that while we, we don't have any current plans to, to do that, um, we can tell you guys that we do have some specialty episodes planned for the hiatus uh, that will be about specific themes in the show and maybe do a couple of episodes about ships as well. Um, so those episodes will include um, discussion points from all of the seasons and there will be really fun things to to look forward to in those coming months. Yeah. While well, we're, you know, sitting around having absolutely nothing to do waiting for the next season of The 100. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and if you guys just want to, like, take a quick minute and go rate us and review us on iTunes, you know, it helps other fans of The 100 find us. We would really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, okay, so let's get into the recap. Okay, so let's get into this recap. All it's right. um, it's a hell of an episode, so it's going to be a hell of a recap. But yeah, but it, it's straight shot. We don't have to cut it up into a million little pieces. Yeah, it is nice when we can just focus on like one linear storyline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we open up and Gaia outside is announcing the tributes for each clan who's about to participate in this conclave. And we see Octavia sitting in the waiting room. She's not really looking as confident as we'd like our champion to look. Uh, And Bellamy comes in and tells her that she doesn't have to do this. But Octavia says that if she dies, at least she dies fighting, and she doesn't need him to point out the odds to her. Yeah. Um, You know, this wasn't the, like, endearing endearing open conversation that I would have wanted for them. Um, But I I did appreciate that the second that Octavia spoke the words, my decision, Bellamy immediately shut up and respected that position. You know, it's just like another small sign that he's grown and he's like actively trying to be better and alter the course of their relationship in a more positive direction, I think. 
And, you know, as we mentioned last episode, and as I think also becomes clear here in this episode, Octavia's never really, um, she's never really looking for Bellamy to let her do anything because, I mean, let's be honest, she does what she wants either way. True. Um, she really just wants him to believe in her. I think now, especially more than ever, because she doesn't actually believe in herself or at least not as much as we kind of need her to. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is the arc that we see within this episode. And I think the, the writers also wrote this really beautifully. Yeah, I do too. So Clark comes in and she tells Octavia that it's time and that she has this. And when Bellamy asks if Clark really believes that, Clark just says that she needs Octavia to believe it. <laughs> I love that from the get-go in this episode, you know, we have this, the calculating version of Clark, which is the most frequent version of Clark. Um, <laughs> I think it's true, but but I like that it's a very pointed um you know, idea here that she's only about strategy in this episode. There is no room for emotion or personal feelings. Clark is only down to business. I mean, I have to say, I'm not sure we ever have a non-calculating version of Clark. <laughs> as unpopular as that, I think, makes her in the fandom sometimes, I still really, really love her for it very deeply. And it's it's really, it's truly rare to see a female character portrayed as this kind of, like, practical, ruthless kind of person. And while it can be hard to like Clark sometimes, that doesn't really take away from the fact that they all need her to be this person yeah and I, I think it's important too that she she does feel things you know she's not a calculating robot devoid of human emotion you know it's just that she's able to put those feelings aside in order to achieve what she believes is best for everyone and I, I deeply respect that yeah yeah totally agree in order to make a character like this work she really has to feel like an actual complete person you know with hopes and dreams and fears and flaws and I will fight anyone who says that Clark does not feel like this even if you don't always agree with her decisions so we have uh, Effie, oh wait, I mean Gaia. Uh, she's calling forth Octavia's tribute. She um, gives her the Sky Crew sigil and tells her to fight with honor for her clan as their champion. Um, but who is the next name to be called but Ilians, which definitely surprises Octavia at least. Um, she asks him what he's trying to prove, but Ilian says that he is here for Trishana Crew, not for her. I will say first that even with him standing next to her at no point did I think it was even a remote possibility that he would die he's like actually standing right next to Octavia in the lineup of people going into the conclave and I was like yeah he's fine <laughs> I mean we see Roan here and Ilian here they're two huge characters this season and you and I both had a conversation before this episode like it's not as if they could kill Roan and Ilian and Luna so something has to happen to stop this conclave and it's like why do we always underestimate this show like we we'll get to more of that later but right now we are still going to be like living our fantasy land where everyone is happy um maybe just a little bit bloody and sweaty but at least no one is dead yeah that will change in this episode stay there for as long <laughs> as possible <laughs> yeah so Gaia announces the rules of the conclave and reaffirms what seems to be the core tenet of their society which is that they honor those who fall by the sword but they follow the one who wields it best which, surprise, Luna says it's her as she pushes her way through the crowd and power walks up to the stage. And when Luna asks, and when Gaia asks Luna who she fights for, um, Luna says that she is fighting for death. And then if she wins, no one wins. Nice. So it's really nice, Luna. So Luna's like not really happy right now with anything at all. <laughs> and I mean, I, I was spoiled for this in the trailer. And to be honest. I, I also totally understand where her anger comes from, but it's still really concerning to me that she's so gung-ho for everyone to perish in Hellfire. 
Um, yeah, I mean, we, we will get into this a lot more later, but I, I guess I just personally feel a little bit confused about her motivation. I mean, like you, I, I certainly understand where her anger and, frustri- and frustration um, with humanity comes from, but Luna has never seemed particularly vicious or bloodthirsty or even nihilistic to me. So again, I just, I don't know, this particular strain of behavior, it does not fit comfortably with the rest of her character for me. Yeah, I I have a lot to say, but I think we'll wait until the end of the episode for that. Um, I also think we might be saying that a lot this episode because, yeah. you know, it's just a lot of like nothing happens and suddenly everything happens. <laughs> yeah, and there are a lot of things to say once the big things happen. Yeah, so so we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. TV continued. <laughs> <laughs> um, Indra comes in to see Octavia in the practice room and she sees that Octavia is wearing Lincoln's tattoo. And Indra tells Octavia that it is okay to be afraid, but Octavia says that she isn't. Um, I I think this might be the most affectionate we've ever seen Indra, like physically. You know, she, she walks right up to Octavia and holds her chin to get a better look at that tattoo, but it's such a gentle, like, maternal gesture. It was startling to me. And, and I also think this was, in a way, maybe subconsciously for Indra to communicate to Octavia that she cares for her and that the next words out of her mouth that are, like, basically her instructing Octavia, you know, they're, they're not coming from a place of a warrior, but they're coming from a place of someone who, who wants her to actually win because she cares about her. The, like, this physical intimacy you know, would have signaled to Octavia to be open to the next thing that Indra has to say. And I think she really wants Octavia to listen to her. Like the fact that, not the fact that Indra is the one to initiate this contact shows me how much she loves Octavia. And I just, it was beautiful and I, I loved it. Yeah. Indra's face too, after Octavia said she isn't scared, she seems almost like disappointed. Yeah. Um, Octavia clearly looks up to Indra so much you know, when Indra speaks, Octavia listens to, like, every single word, every time, more so than I think anyone else in Octavia's life. And in this moment, I have to wonder if Indra is is disappointed, not in Octavia, but maybe in actually for herself, um, for not teaching Octavia that it's okay to admit that she's afraid. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a strength in admitting this. And Indra is such a hard person that I don't think that um, Octavia really realizes that Indra wouldn't judge her for being afraid. And I, I, I wonder if Indra's able... Or I wonder if she maybe regrets not being able to show that there are other kinds of strength as well, because she has a hard time with it herself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, we'll see this later in the episode, but I think that Octavia does learn this and and did learn this, but she's learned it from other people like Lincoln and like Ilian. Yeah. Yeah. So Indra gives Octavia her sword, saying that Gaia would never accept this, but she hopes that Octavia would. And then when Octavia asks why she's helping her if it means the end of her people, Indra replies that Octavia is her people. And this is the moment when I was like 100% convinced Indra would die. And I wanted to die as well. (laughs) (laughs) I really was like just living in La La Land the whole time. Like, no one's going to die. I'm going to be fine. No problem. I mean, I was pretty sure a main character was going to die, but I thought they'd be sneaky about it and make it someone not participating in the Hunger Games, which is why, you know, Indra seems right here to be on the chopping block for me. Um, But again, for some reason, the hunter does exactly what it says it's going to do. And yet still I'm surprised. (laughs) Oh my god, so true. But um, going back to this, you know, this moment between Indra and Octavia from start to finish was just so powerful to me. Um, you know, I like absolutely loved the fact that we get this overt admission from Indra that she considers Octavia her daughter. I, I really like that their relationship is separate from Indra's relationship with Gaia. 
Um, this was a really heavy Indra and Gaia and then Indra and Octavia episode and you can definitely see those parallels but like they're just as important and significant in their own right and they don't take anything away from each other and here Indra has finally has the chance to impart her particular brand of wisdom um, to someone who can appreciate it in the same way that Octavia has been starving for a maternal figure in her life as well as a role model I think um, Indra has been starving for this connection to family and to blood and she's never really got that with Gaia and I think the idea of losing Octavia today is finally allowing her or pushing her to admit how how important Octavia has become and come to mean to her yeah we've talked many times about how Octavia has never really felt like she belongs anywhere and we all know that Bellamy believes that she belongs with him but for Octavia I think there's this kind of deep-seated insecurity over the fact that she was forced on him and that he was kind of forced to love her from her point of view at least um he he didn't choose her and I think this is um I think she thinks that his life would have been better if she weren't in it. So it's really it's really incredibly important for Octavia to finally have someone who has chosen her, who has claimed her, not as a lover in the same way, you know, like Lincoln did, but as family, like as blood. And with Lincoln as well, he, he didn't really fit in with the Grounders or the Sky Crew either. So the two of them are basically outcasts together. But Indra is the most grounder of all grounders. And for her to take Octavia under her wing and claim her as her crew, it's it's for someone to finally tell Octavia that she would choose her even if she has other options. And that that is, is beautiful to see Octavia feeling like she's worthy of belonging somewhere. It is. I loved it. So Indra hugs Octavia and she tells her that she may have taught her to fight, but who Octavia fights for is up to her. This is the first hint we get, I think, that Indra is pulling for a better outcome than anyone else is envisioning right now. I mean, she very clearly wants Octavia to take these words to heart. And at this point, Octavia is not really quite clear what they mean, or or perhaps she misinterprets them. But we'll see by the end of the episode that maybe Indra has actually learned something from Lincoln as well. Yes, yes. I, I love that from the first time we ever met Indra, she's always seemed to put clan loyalty above all else. Um, and the fact that she seems to be advocating or hinting at an outcome that would equalize everyone is a really big step for her. And I think it shows how far she's come. And I think you're right. I think she has learned from Lincoln. Yeah. Outside, Jaha is arguing with Kane, and Jaha is really just unable to accept the fact that they're risking the fate of their people on Bloodsport. And Clark reminds them that they're not just risking the fate of their people, they're risking the fate of all people, because Luna is a Nightblood and she's been trained for a battle like this half her life. Yeah, I do really like that Clark brings up this distinction. Like, she consistently puts humanity above tribalism. And I think that the fact that she makes this distinction is what truly separates her from the rest of the leaders who have come before her. And namely, in this case, Jaha. Yeah, and throughout the season, we've seen Clark making more and more Jaha-esque decisions. But I think it's very important to remember the difference right here. Um, because like it or not, Clark is still out to save as many people as she can. Whereas Jaha really only cares about saving his own people. And that is where the line is between them and it's really vital to me that this is noted because I think that this is also the line between right and wrong in this situation yeah and this is also why I love Clark and why I can't stand Jaha I, I I don't see Jaha as a bad person I probably will never see him as a bad person but I don't think he's a leader who can bring everyone out of the ashes so to say um Prime Fire is going to destroy everything they know and when they come out of that bunker whoever those people in the bunker may be, they're not going to be the same people who went in. 
And I think that they need a leader who's adaptable enough to recognize when change is needed. Yeah, exactly. And as we've said, Clark is the master at synthesizing the leadership styles she's observed over her lifetime and improving them. And that allows her to ultimately find that third solution that we're always talking about. That is to say, I don't think Clark actually finds a third solution in this episode in particular. I actually think she kind of gives up, but we'll get to that. And <laughs> and also, I, I just want to take a second to laugh at how scandalized Bellamy seemed when he, um, when he asked Clark if she wanted them to cheat, because the look on his face was honestly just so hilarious. Like, he was just appalled by the idea. It's true. Um, Bellamy is so, still so pure in some ways. It's, it's actually really funny. Uh, I also really loved Eliza Taylor's acting here because you can see the second that Jaha mentions it's not the rules that are the problem it's the game like the wheels start to turn in her head and she has this like very conniving look on her face but it's very subtle you know she hasn't fully formed a plan yet here but something about the idea of operating outside the system has like flagged something in her and you can really start to hear her brain humming. I actually don't think Clark even thought about cheating until Bellamy asked about it. I think Clark was still in that, like, what the hell are we going to do stage? And when Bellamy mentions cheating, it's like this light bulb goes on in her head. Yeah, yeah, I wrote that down too, actually. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was taking notes. I was like, oh my god, Bellamy, you gave her this idea to cheat. (laughs) Um, Jaha asks that even if Octavia wins, does any of them really believe that grounders will respect Sky Crew's claim to the bunker? Kane is sure they will, uh, because the Conclave is sacred to them, and like it or not, they are all grounders now. So what do you think, Britt? Are you a Jaha or Kane? You know, if Sky Crew won, do you think the grounders would step down and let them have the bunker without any more bloodshed? Um, as always, I'm I'm gonna be Kane, um, and go against Jaha <laughs> and say that they would absolutely respect it. I think you know, I'm not sure that if they had had more than three days time, they wouldn't eventually work themselves into a frenzy, no doubt spurred on by Echo, um, and try to take the bunker back. But I, I think that this is a culture that deeply respects tradition and divine will, and they would respect the outcome no matter what, um, at least temporarily. What do you think? I think... I think Jaha's and Kane's beliefs here perfectly highlight how they view humanity. So with Jaha, we see him believing that everyone is really truly selfish and loyal to their own deep down, whereas Kane wants to believe that in times of strife, people's honor will overcome their selfishness. However, I'm going to have to disagree with them both here, or maybe, I guess, more disagree with Kane. I do think a large portion of the grounders would respect this. I mean, the conclave is sacred in their culture, and I think most people would take the winner of this fight to be like the divinely chosen one to decide their fate. But... I also have to be realistic about human nature and the drive to survive. And in the same way that, you know, Echo, as we see later, she cheats to ensure the survival of her own people. I I think we would definitely see some grounders foregoing tradition and religion to try to take the bunker away, especially because there is um, more than enough room for multiple clans. So like just seeing one clan kind of hog it off, hog it all is a little bit, I'm sure, irritating for people. Yeah. Um, perhaps they wouldn't actually be successful in taking the bunker, but I'm pretty positive that some people would try it anyway. And, and doubly so if Luna won. Oh, absolutely. If Luna won, um, that, but that's an entirely different question altogether, though. True, but I, I think Kane seems to believe the grounders would respect the outcome of the conclave no matter what, just because of their religion. And I, I disagree. I think people go against the tenets of their religion all the time in real life, especially when they're under stress or hardship. Yeah, I do too. I think if Luna won, I, I seriously doubt they'd be able to just stand by and let everyone die. So we see Bellamy worried about not knowing what to say to Octavia, but Clark tells him that he has to be there for her, not just um, because if he, if he wasn't there, it would be worse than saying the wrong thing. 
And I, I mean, I was, I was a little bit flabbergasted because I was like, is Bellamy seriously considering letting his sister go off into a death match without seeing her one more time? Um, well, okay. So yeah, I think like you had mentioned earlier that Octavia has some deep rooted insecurities about their relationship, but I, I think Bellamy does too. I think he feels like he's constantly trying to help or save her, but ultimately fails every time he does. And I I don't think he wants this to be one of those times, given how easily just one wrong thing he could do um, could potentially result in Octavia losing focus and getting killed. And I, I also think that he just really can't stand to face her, knowing it might be the last time. I think he'd rather pretend like he's no good for her and that she's better off preparing without him. Um, by distracting her or saying or doing the wrong thing as usual and and I think he'd rather just let her go and without saying goodbye and good luck possibly for the last time yeah I'm okay I mean yeah you're, you're right um this I guess is just another way to show how their relationship has changed because there's no way in hell that season one Bellamy would have not gone to her before a fight like this uh, but of course, season one Bellamy would have also had her kidnapped and locked in the dropship. So um, we've come a long way. We have. Yeah, this is improvement. It's not positive <laughs> movement all the time, but it is movement. <laughs> so Clark comes over to Roan and Echo, and she says that they can't let Luna win. But Roan says the time for alliances have now passed, and he's now fighting for only his people. And Clark asks if Roan can beat Luna, and Echo jumps to his defense, but Roan doesn't seem entirely confident that he can. And I mean, not taking into account the fact that we know how the fight ends between Ron and Luna and not taking into account the fact that anyone can win a fight if they're lucky enough. Can we all just agree that Ron definitely couldn't beat Luna in solo combat? Like Ron couldn't even beat Lexa. And I'm pretty sure that Luna could have beaten Lexa. So where does that leave us? <laughs> yes, we can 100% agree on that. And I, I like that Echo plays this with overconfidence, even though we know from later on in the episode that she is also in 100% agreement that Roan can't win, so much so that she cheats. It's just, a, it's an interesting dynamic here and Echo playing games, you know, just for as long as she can. So Roan says that he knows it's hard for Clark to accept that it's over, but it is. And he, if he doesn't win and his people have to die, then he doesn't care who survives or if anyone does. And Clark says that's a difference between them, that she wants humanity to survive, even if it's not her people. And it's quite clear here, Roan is still really upset with Clark for the stunt she pulled with the flame. And I genuinely hate that this is their last conversation they're ever going to have together. They've come so far, and yet they have to end on a note like this. Yeah, it's really sour. Roan brings up the fact that Clark clearly has no respect for their traditions and tells her to leave before she can dishonor herself again. And I just hate that their last conversation has to be about this, when neither of them really care about the religion in the first place, and their relationship has been so much about mutual respect and genuine fondness for each other. It's just left me very unsettled. I mean, the funny thing is that this tradition here, this conclave, is still absolutely about respect because the hundreds of people are all going to have to respect that one person's win is basically a death sentence for the rest of them. And it's hard to maintain a tradition when all the participating members aren't fully willing to respect that tradition. And the rest of the grounders just made it very clear last episode that Sky Crew is not welcome in their religion. So the fact that Sky Crew is now expected to respect this specific tradition is a little bit hypocrit or hypocritical. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the grounders have the swords and the manpower, uh, but Sky Crew are the ones with the knowledge on how to actually run the bunker. So perhaps they have one more option that the grounders don't have. Could be. Could be. Um, Roan tells Clark to get off the battlefield before she dishonors her people once again. And this is the moment that you can see Clark just snap. It's one of those, like, if that's how it's going to be, if you want to pretend that you don't care about what happens to everyone else, then 
F you. Like <laughs> Clark has tried over and over again to work with people and it keeps backfiring and people keep, you know, throwing her help back in her face. And at this point, Clark is just, she's just done trying to help people who don't want her help. Yeah. Did this remind you of Harry Potter at all? I'm going to like nerd out for a second. So in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, when Roan, so Okay, in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix is what I'm thinking about. And when Roan told her to leave, it reminded me of when Sirius tells Creature to, like, quote-unquote, get out. And then Creature takes it as a literal command to leave the House of Black. And he goes off and he puts this other plan into motion behind the scenes that has drastic consequences. Um, so basically, Clark is Creature here. And she's just, like, fed up with the system she's been placed in and decides, yes, she will leave. And she's not playing by the rules anymore. She's not even playing the game. She's just going to go and do whatever she needs to do. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I'm now going to have like a wrinkly, shriveled, pointy-nosed little Clark face stuck in my head for the rest of time. You are most welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's also important to note here that uh, as Rowan and Clark leave, Echo stays behind looking real shifty. And when I was first watching the episode, I honestly had no clue what this look on Echo's face meant. Did, did you? I mean, I knew immediately that Echo was planning on cheating, and she did not disappoint. <laughs> I, I mean, I knew she was going to cheat, but I just didn't know what form that cheating would actually take. And for a moment, I actually thought that she might try to make some sort of alliance with Sky Crew behind Roan's back, because she also, I think, doesn't really believe that Roan can beat Luna. Um, but I don't know what that alliance would look like, so I, I, I was very, I was very confused. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I didn't even think about her allying with Sky Crew. I, I mostly just assumed that she'd rely on her own, you know, spy covert tactics and do something to rig the game. It just, it, it seems like Clark, what Clark was saying about wanting to save everybody kind of struck a chord with her, and I thought maybe it reminded her about that conversation she had with Bellamy back in the woods uh, in episode five of the season, where... I, a bit too optimistically maybe, had hoped that it signified a change in Echo, that maybe she actually wanted to make sure that humanity did survive and not just one group. Um, obviously, I was giving her too much credit. <laughs> yeah, I think I actually would have preferred that now that you mention it. Um, I am a little sad that we haven't seen more character development from her, but I, I think we can also get into this more later. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would have believed that character progression because, as you said, we haven't seen a ton of development from her. But it would have been nice, I think. Um, I I would have let I would have let that go. I would have let that character leap go. But again, it didn't happen. Echo was her regular sneaky backstabbing stealth, and the um, the status quo goes on. Yes, it does. So in the training room, Kane is listing off all the other warriors' weaknesses to Octavia, and we see Bellamy like rolling his eyes next to them. And Octavia notices this, and she asks if he has something to say. And Bellamy tells her that she is the girl under the floor, and she needs to use that ability to hide like their mother taught her. I love that they're bringing this up again, because it's been a really long time since her past was mentioned like this. And only one skill mattered in Octavia's life for 15 years, and that was staying hidden from the outside world. And in a fight like this, where she doesn't have um, anywhere near the training the other warriors have, she's got to find another way to win, like a sneakier way. Yes, um, that's a really interesting point, actually, because this also shows that no matter what Octavia does or how she grows, you know, she'll never be able to forget her past or where she came from. And I like that this is an opportunity for her to sort of blend her past and current selves into a cohesive whole. I imagine that this would be very therapeutic, actually. Yeah. Uh, Kane tells Octavia that she doesn't have to kill all 12 warriors, and Octavia realizes that all she really has to kill is the last one. 
And as the horn blows to announce the start of the Hunger Games, Kane finally gets his dad hug with Octavia. And when Octavia tells Bellamy goodbye with the May We Meet Again, Bellamy says that it's damn right they will. Hmm. So Kane really had his moment here. He finally got to be Octavia's dad. He looked so relieved that she's accepted him officially as a parent TM now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it was like even complete with eye rolling from the big brother and full of information Octavia probably already knew, but she was just humoring him anyway. So Drew was like, Tad, you're embarrassing me in front of the other warriors. (laughs) (laughs) I did also really love that despite... Bellamy's earlier misgivings when the moment arrived he said the right thing and he did the right thing and Octavia looked not only relieved but pleasantly surprised with Bellamy's damn right we will she's so scared right now even though she won't admit it and I think that's snapping her out of the numbness that's permeated her for so long you know everything is not all right between her and Bellamy yet but with the threat of death hanging over her it's a very real possibility now that she might never get the chance to make up with her brother and I, I think she's surprised by how much that upsets her You know, deep down, I think she always really believed that they'd work it out someday, and now they are running out of time. Yeah. So as the warriors move to their positions around Polis, the tree crew champion, Fio, tells Octavia that she's come a long way, and it's too bad he's going to have to kill her. And I just have such a strange affection for Fio. I love this tiny arc he's had with Octavia from, like, beating the hell out of her back in season two to, like, have come around to respecting her as a warrior in her own right now. And I'm really, really, really glad that Indra wasn't in this fight, but I'm also sad to see poor Fio go. Yeah, I I don't have as many strong feelings as you do on this, but I'm glad that you do. I just, it was, it was a sweet, yeah, it was sweet maybe is not the right word, but it was bittersweet. Yeah, kind, I mean, probably not that either. (laughs) He's probably a jerk, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The horn signals to start the conclave. All the warriors kind of take off running Everyone except Octavia, who stands frozen. Can I just say that I thought the way they filmed this scene was incredible. Everything from the camera work to the lighting, the set design and the background music, everything was flawless. You know, the camera movement zigzagging between all of the warriors and the handheld swaying motion. It made it so intense and claustrophobic. And and they combined that with this like enormous horn resounding, which was so dramatic. Um, it, it really worked well for me. And there's a lot of hype going into this episode. We knew it was going to be a big fighting episode with lots of violence. And that adds a lot of pressure, I think, on how to execute their scenes um, just to ensure that the drama lands properly. And I, I think they really nailed it. And this opening sequence was great. Well done. Yeah, in this whole episode, too, uh, Marie just kills it from start to finish. Like, she does all of her own stunts here. Um, and more so than that, we also can just see every second of her emotional journey played across her face. And here at the beginning of this fight, Octavia has this look of, like, horror that we've never seen before. Like, she is bone-deep terrified. And, and, you know, it's one thing to run off into a normal battle where there's the chance of death, but not a guarantee for anyone. But here, for the first time, I think Octavia is considering what it might mean uh, for both her and for the people that she loves if she loses, because losing means death. And there's only one way out. She either dies or she is victorious over all the other warriors. And if Octavia can't believe here that she's going to at least be able to take out that last warrior, then the only alternative means that she's going to die. So, you know, she should be scared. And I'm glad that we get to see this from Octavia here because it feels like such a normal reaction, especially from someone who's still so young and inexperienced. It's, it's just very human. And that's something that Octavia, she has a hard time acting human sometimes. Yes, she does. Yeah, this was more normal than, than she ever has been. <laughs> 
Uh, so Octavia is sneaking around. The sounds of fighting are going on nearby, and she runs into Theo, and he starts chasing after her. But like Bellamy said, she uses her skills as the girl under the floor and is able to evade him. Um, her strategy here, I have to point out, is really quite brilliant. I don't think there's any way Octavia could have beaten Theo in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but she knows that Roan is fighting nearby, and she's able to kind of lead Theo directly there and then hide so he only sees Roan. Um, and, you know, Tree Crew and Asgeta, like, neither of them are going to pass up that fight. So she's able to kind of slip out of this conflict without a scratch. Yeah, it's totally brilliant. Um, question. Do you think the idea of hiding as a strategy would have occurred to Octavia eventually? Or do you think Bellamy deserves the credit for putting this idea in her head? Like, given that Octavia deserves all the credit for putting it into ap action and, like, executing that plan, I'm just wondering if you think it would have ever occurred to her. I think that it probably would have occurred to her eventually, but the question is whether it would have occurred to her in time. And if this is the first warrior she's come across, you know, when Bellamy and Kane told her that she didn't have to kill the other 12 warriors, that seems to have been the first time that Octavia considered that. And I, I think her first instinct here would have been to fight with Theo, but I think she would have lost. So yes, I guess the answer is yes. I do think Bellamy deserves some credit here. I mean, he always deserves credit because he's really underappreciated. <laughs> um, but the style in which Octavia takes Theo out without lifting a finger was impressive as hell. Yes, and I did not mean to take anything away from her because she's a <laughs> badass. Uh, Rowan kills Theo, thus knocking Tree Crew out of the conclave. And when Gaia sees this, she turns around and starts to cry. And she announces to the ambassadors uh, that the plane riders and Tree Crew have been eliminated. And then she hugs Indra and breaks down. And you know... I forgot up until this point that Gaia wasn't just a neutral participant participant in all of this, given that she was kind of just presiding over the event. Uh, but she's also tree crew, which means that she just watched her one chance of surviving the apocalypse die and her one chance of her mother surviving the apocalypse die as well. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of had that, oh yeah, moment too. It's especially hard to remember that she's also tree crew when her position outranks the clans as separate tribes. You know, she is a spiritual leader beholden to all of the clans um, and she's neutral. I, I really loved this moment, especially... Um, when she walks over to Indra and just crumbles in her arms. I mentioned earlier that I, I felt like the physical affection Indra showed Octavia was really significant, and I, I think it's even more so here. And again, notice who initiates that contact. It's Gaia. You know, her and Indra's relationship has been so strained for so long, I'm not really sure when the last time they embraced or even touched affectionately. This gesture from Gaia, her inability to maintain composure and the solace that she's seeking from her mom, you know, both physically and emotionally, is just so pure and so real and again this is in turn you know it informs on how Indra and Octavia also relate without ever taking anything away from Gaia and Indra's relationship so this entire thing is just beautiful and I, I loved it I, I agree you know it was wonderful to see Gaia and Indra be able to take comfort in each other um, I'm still holding out hope that they can someday repair their broken relationship so I really need to see them both survive the apocalypse so we can get more of their story next season because I am not ready to be done with them yet no Bellamy watches uh, Indra and Gaia hugging, and he has this really pained look on his face, and he realizes that he couldn't even tell Octavia he loved her with the world ending. But Kane tells him that Octavia already knows. And the sad thing is, Octavia does know that Bellamy loves her. That's not the question. It hasn't ever been the question. The real question is, Bellamy doesn't know that Octavia loves him. Like, he is terrified that she's going to die here without ever having, you know, quote-unquote forgiven him for whatever wrong that she feels he's committed. And we know on our end that Octavia has 
you know, kind of moved past that anger toward him, and it was really just displaced anger for herself anyway. But Bellamy hasn't been privy to Octavia's arc this season, and he genuinely doesn't know whether he sent Octavia to her death still hating him. Yes. Yes to all of that. I also just wanted to say uh, that when Gaia was moving towards the candles and it was like the most melodramatic moment ever. (laughs) Seriously, it was like a daytime soap opera level of over-the-topness, and I I loved it. It's like Survivor. It took her seven (laughs) minutes to get to that first candle. (laughs) Um, Octavia's hiding out in the training room when Luna shows up and Luna says that she will make Octavia's death quick for Lincoln's sake when Octavia says that Lincoln would be ashamed of her Luna says that he was a fool and that his belief that they were all one people got him killed and look Luna she's completely lost it now and the hard truth of the matter is she's right like it seems like no matter what anyone does no matter how many peaceful solutions have been found Blood and violence are the only thing that people respect, especially in this world. And Luna's tried so hard to teach people to let go of their violent natures. And look where it's gotten her. You know, all the people are dead. The rest of the clans are locked in this, like, final battle where they determine who gets to live by, lift, um, by you know, killing those who are, or, or rather, lifting up those who are best at killing. Yeah. Um. So I think for me... You know, while I can see that she is right about humanity, particularly given what was just done to her, I just don't see this version of Luna jiving with the rest of the character we've come to know. Um, For all of her frustrations with the state of things, I would never have categorized her as malicious or even capable of being malicious when pushed into an extreme situation like this. I think characters should be complex and I think they should be multifaceted, but I I need more of a connection to the rest of the character we've been presented with, um, or at least a transition in order for this to work for me. And it it just felt like she made a left turn and warped into Bellatrix with Strange. Sorry for the excessive Harry Potter references. Um, And her her, like maniacal delight in hurting Octavia by talking about Lincoln like this, it, it just doesn't sit well with me on like a character level. I don't know. It's not working for me. I... I do have to disagree with you here in that I've always seen this potential to just snap in Luna, you know, from the first episode that we meet her. I mean, the woman killed her own brother, and she was basically raised as a sacrifice to this violent tradition and a culture that values war above all else. So, like, the poor girl never really had a chance. How, Like, how do you escape a system like that? She tried, and it ultimately just sucked her back in all the same. Um, I think the important thing with Luna is that she chose over and over again to overcome this nature and to push past this conditioning that they had instilled in her. And finally, now it no longer really matters because everyone that she's ever loved is dead. And this is the first time that we've seen her not trying. Like, she's behaving now the way that she was raised to behave. That's a really good point. Um, And I I guess you're right in that this potential for violence has always been there. That's not really what I'm objecting to, though. It's not the violence or the bloodthirst. Like, those things I understand where they come from. I just don't understand where this maliciousness or this sadism comes from. That's what it is. Had Luna not joined up with Sky Crew for the part of this season, um, do you think that she would have made a different choice here? Do you, like, would she have stayed out of this fight entirely? Um, or do you think that the pain of losing her entire clan would have ultimately compelled her to do this either way? Because she says that Sky Crew made her lose her belief in people and that people were, were not worth saving. And, and while I understand this anger, it seems like more of an excuse to me. That's a good question. Um, I think that had Sky Crew not experimented on her without her permission, she probably would have just gone quietly into the night 
even if she had come to Sky Crew, it seems like the act of using her against her will was the ultimate instigating factor that spurred her into this kind of bloodlust um, and ultimately motivated her to join the Conclave. But I, I still maintain that she's not a malicious person and that enacting violence is, is very different from delighting in the violence that you're committing. I don't think she's a malicious person, but I do think that she's the product of a malicious system. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. I don't know. It just, it, I do not think that this version of Luna fits with the rest of what I know of her. I can very easily see how she turned into this person. Um, as we saw earlier on in this season, and in last season as well, she didn't really care much for anyone outside of her own clan of people. I mean, basically, like, in her point of view, everyone else could go die and she wouldn't care. Um, the only reason that she really stepped up to help here in the first place was because our Queen Raven um, was able to get through to her and to convince her that people in this world, there were people at least that were worth saving. And when Raven herself ends up basically betraying her, you know, thus in Luna's eyes proving her initial point, I think Luna comes back to the belief that the world would be better off without everybody and you know she's probably right um but that doesn't mean that her decision here today is okay yeah yeah I, I understand why she wants humanity and I I really do you know she's had a rough time I just I think there is a particular strain of viciousness here that I, I don't recognize in her but it's okay to disagree <laughs> you know it happens every so often with us. <laughs> Occasionally. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's fair that you don't recognize the viciousness, but I think that could be because we've never actually seen it before, but we have heard of it. Like, this aspect of her has been alluded to several times by, you know, both other characters and also herself. Uh, she's, she's very aware of how violent she used to be, and her inactiveness, since we've known her, has actually been an active choice in a weird way, um, so that's kind of an interesting twist. Yeah. Okay. So this is my this is my final retort. I promise, <laughs> and I'm gonna let let go, and we'll move on. But I I still maintain that there is a difference between violence and sadism, and the violence makes sense to me, and it makes sense for her character. I agree. I just I have a hard time connecting this Bellatrix complex with the rest of Luna. I agree with that, but I I also don't think she's acting sadistic in this episode. I I think she's let herself be filled up with hate, which is causing her to lash out. Um. And unfortunately for everyone else, she just has much better murder skills than the rest of them when she wants to use them. So uh, it, it's just been a long time since she's actually wanted to. <laughs> that's very true. And she is very terrifying. She, she really is. Um, but that's also what makes her so interesting. And I'm really, I'm just so sad we won't get to see her continue to develop, be it either in a positive or negative direction. Um. Yes, we'll definitely get into this more later. Um, but I, I actually think that this is part of why all of this is very confusing to me um, because her arc felt like it was cut short. And I, I really wanted more of a, of a discussion than what we're going to get with her. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely have some thoughts on her arc as a whole, but we'll leave that for our grand finale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's not all on the Luna stuff, guys. <laughs> uh, Luna points out to Octavia that she's now killing for her own clan like everyone else and that Lincoln would be ashamed of her. But when Luna goes to kill Octavia, Octavia drops a bundle of poles on her head and runs away. And I did also want to add here, I, I really wish we had some sense of what her relationship with Lincoln was like, what, what Luna's relationship with Lincoln was like, because so much of this scene hinges on the fact that both her and Octavia knew and cared for him and that Lincoln had somewhat you know, revolutionary ideas for this world. I, I always thought we'd get more backstory on Luna's and Lincoln's relationship, but now that they're both dead, I can honestly say that I don't, 
I, I, I can't figure out how they met or how they became friends or how close they were. We just never really got a lot there. Yeah, that would have been insightful information to have. Um, but like, I, I mean, now we're never going to know. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so besides the fact um, that I, I just really like this move where Octavia is dropping bombs on Luna, I, I really appreciated that we start to see other secondary <sighs> characters comment on this idea of one clan, one people. Indra was the one who planted this idea in Octavia's head from the start, um, long before Octavia even understood what Indra was talking about. Um, and I, I think that this idea gains more and more traction in Octavia's mind during the Conclave, as more and more people mention this idea of unity, uh, either in like the snide way that Luna is using here, or in other ways that may be more positive that we'll get into later. I think it's just a really cool bit of writing um, that they used here, and not only to emphasize one of this episode's major themes, but also it just is a really cool piece of character development that integrates really nicely with plot progression, and I, I love when the writing works on multiple levels as it does here yep totally agree <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> um octavia is hiding from luna when she meets Ilian, and he wants to form an alliance with her Ilian tells octavia that he won't be her enemy but octavia says that she's not the girl that he wants her to be and she promises that she'll kill him the next time she sees him um i i really love octavia's line here that she's not the girl he wants her to be but what do you think he what do you think he wants her to be? Or more accurately, who do you think she thinks he wants her to be? I'm so glad you brought this up because I, I actually snagged on this too. I think Ilian wants Octavia to be Octavia. Maybe like a, a happier or a healthier version of Octavia. <laughs> That's not hard. <laughs> um, than what he's seen so far, which is, like you said, not, not hard to do. But I don't think he expects something of her that she isn't capable of being. I think the real crux of the matter here is that Octavia can't be the girl she thinks Ilian wants her to be. And that's a discrepancy that's really interesting to me. Octavia spent a lot of energy trying to be um, better at Ilian's farm. But I'm, I'm not sure what her definition of better is. And I'm almost certain it doesn't match Ilian's definition of what better looks like for Octavia. She's had, uh, she's done a lot of work getting back to a better, a better mental place, but she's, she's not done yet. And I think this outburst seems more aimed at herself, um, than it does at Ilian. What do you think? You know, I think, I think Octavia is still trying to hold on to the last like vestiges of her view of herself, that she's this like cold and efficient person who does what needs to be done, no matter who's standing in her way. Um, she can't, actually accept herself the way she is and the way she is I think Ilian sees her as who is just this girl who's had to shoulder more pain in her life than she thinks she can bear so I agree with you that Ilian actually sees Octavia as she is whereas Octavia can't see past this vision of herself that she's created and until she can accept that she really can't be who Ilian wants her to be because he just wants her to be Octavia and she's trying to be somebody else yeah um, Bellamy sees someone on the battlefield shooting down warriors with bows, and he realizes that it must be Echo. So Kane tries to stop Bellamy, saying that he'll get caught if he goes after her, and that people are going to pay the price. But Bellamy just can't do nothing, so Kane tells him to wait until dark at least. And it's like the amount of done that Bellamy is with Echo right now. It just it freaking delights me. I, I know that's not the reaction we're supposed to have, but she just keeps screwing him over at every turn, and I love how much he hates her. No, I, I think that's exactly the reaction you're supposed to have. I did. Echo has had plenty of opportunities to make better choices, and she keeps choosing wrong. I, I really wanted a lot more from Echo this season, and of all of her choices in this episode, they just, they really piss me off. Yeah, she's like this constant thorn in his side, and, and the real kicker is... 
Bellamy has to live with the fact that she wouldn't have been able to do any of it if it weren't for him saving her in that weather. And you know how much Bellamy loves to, like, shoulder the blame of everyone else's actions. So Echo really gives him a ton of fodder here for self-hatred. No kidding. Octavia ends up cornered by an alliance of warriors, and just when it looks like all hope is lost and our heroine's going to fall, this gorgeous man swoops in to save the day. <laughs> um, and after Ilian and Octavia take out the other warriors, Octavia is furious that he followed her, and, and you know, seeing as how one of them is going to have to die before the end. And I, I think it's important to note here that this is not a YA dystopian romance, no matter how much the episode might look like it at times. Um... And I love that Ilian again reiterates here that, you know, he's not PETA. He did not come into this fight to protect Octavia. He has enough respect for her to know that she can protect herself. So instead, he is here to protect his own people who really do need him to survive. Um, but even with this, I still think Ilian doesn't want his relationship with Octavia to end on the note they left it. You know, he, he's still, even in this final battle, trying to force her to see the person that he sees when he looks at her. I could not agree more. Um, and I, I do want to say that there is nothing wrong with the YA dystopian romance. Um, <laughs> hey, I, 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 I love, love it. <laughs> this is our job, actually. But they often come with tropes that good storytellers try to avoid or at least improve on. Um, and I think that is exactly what The 100 does. This show gets so much slack for being a CW show. And it really has absolutely no bearing on the kind of storytelling that it's doing or the quality that they produce each week. I, th I think this is a perfect example of what, what a lazy show would have done and how The 100 consistently chooses to take the more complex, interesting road. Just quick question, really curious. Had, the, you know, it all worked out differently and it was Ileana and Octavia at the end, who do you think would have won or who do you think would have been able to kill who? No, didn't you see the movie They Eat the Berries? <laughs> no, but really though, like this isn't the Hunger Games and I think you know, they one of them would have had to die and I, I really cannot figure out who I think it would be. I don't think the writers know either and I think that's why they didn't write that. <laughs> I can't figure that out. I have no idea. I honestly don't. I have no idea. I, 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 I'm I, like playing through all of those scenarios in my head and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I think that ultimately Octavia would have killed him. I agree. <laughs> After saying I don't know. I, well, I, I only think that because I she's really good at kind of going into that dark place and like pretending that she doesn't feel and I think it would have set her down a darker path than she ends up being set down this episode um yeah that would have that would have been the nail in the coffin I think for her but it could it, it could have gone either way I really don't, I don't know. know I don't know I'm really glad we didn't get to that <laughs> no I didn't want to watch that either I didn't want to watch that um, you know, because of course this is the hundred and we can't have nice things Echo chooses this moment to shoot an arrow through Ilian's throat so I think it's safe to say that I have established my feelings for Alien pretty thoroughly on this show, don't you think? Yeah. So, <laughs> needless to say, this was not fun for me. I was shook. <laughs> I just, I was living so far in my denial that he wouldn't die that I could not believe they killed him. And thus, my pure and undying <laughs> hatred for Echo was solidified. She is dead to me from now on. Like, you're done. You're done. You know that whole, like, fool me once thing? This show has fooled me not just once, not just twice, but, like, so many times. And yet I still have a really hard time believing them when they said they're going to do something. And I was, like, 
shocked when Ilian died. In our last podcast, I was pretty much convinced that Ilian was going to stick around as a main character, possibly for the rest of the show, and that, you know, his and Octavia's relationship still had a long shelf life, be it either romantic or otherwise. Um, even though Ilian was in this fight, he was honestly the, the least expected person for me to die outside of Octavia, and yet he was the first one who was killed. And I am devastated because he was such... Uh, just a wonderful breath of fresh air on this show. I, I love the dynamic he brought. He played so well off the other characters. And I, I really was looking forward to seeing where his character went. Because even though he was only around for a few episodes, he already felt so real to me. I feel like everything we talked about on the podcast last episode is just moot now. And that <laughs> makes me so sad. I, I really, really thought we should be investing in him as a character on this show, given all of the things that you just mentioned. And I, I can't even say that his this death came out of left field because, again, they stuck him in that arena where we knew there was only one outcome. I just can't get over it. I, the problem is uh, this did come out of left field for me. Like, I don't know why I'm so gullible when it comes to the show. Me too. <laughs> I'm just, I'm shook, I say. Um, one thing I don't love, and it's something that I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention here, is that it, it does feel like Ilian's entire purpose in the show kind of revolved around propping Octavia up after she's been down for so long. Uh, and it is rare to see the male character is used solely for a female character's development. But in this specific case, Octavia is a white woman and Ilian is a man of color. So that adds this extra layer that was a little bit unpleasant to me. Um, even though I do think that they wrote Ilian so vividly that he feels like his own person outside of Octavia's arc. Like he's not a stereotype by any means. He he had he had so much more potential outside of Octavia and we'll never get to see it realized, unfortunately. Definitely. That's that's a good point to bring up. Um even though Ilian did have his own mini arc, you know, he was damaged and a victim of unfortunate circumstances. He had a cathartic moment of actualizing his goal um, and his emotional turmoil was resolved. Like that is a complete arc. But that that also doesn't merit the fact that this is that his most basic function this season was to, as you put it, prop up Octavia. I, I think in general, any kind of medium should avoid doing something to one character just for the sake of how it will affect another. You know, it's unavoidable, and it happens in almost every form of storytelling. But I, I agree that it, it didn't quite sit well with me either. Yeah, you know, you do bring up an interesting point about the format of storytelling. And, you know, as an editor, I will say that we're always going to have main characters and side characters whose job is to progress the main character storyline. Like that is the setup that just has to happen in order to tell a coherent story. And in many ways, it mirrors, I think, our own point of view in real life, um, because sometimes it's hard to see past the roles that other people play in your life. But the difference is that, you know, in real life, those are other people who also are the main characters in their own stories. But with The Hundred, there's just one story to tell. And unfortunately, that sometimes means that the writers have to sacrifice characters who have potential to tell um, good stories themselves. But that said, I hate that it was Ilian. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. So Ilian knows that he's dying, and he tells Octavia that she promised to kill him. And so with tears in her eyes, Octavia repeats to him the words he told her not so long ago, do not fear death, for it is only the beginning of the next journey. And with that, she stabs him, and he dies. This reminded you of when Clark had to stab, stab Finn in season two, yes? I thought I thought that was an interesting callback. This is really funny that you mentioned that because that honestly didn't occur to me at all. I actually kept thinking back to when Clark Mercy killed Adam back in season one. But now that you bring up Finn, I think that's probably much closer to where they were actually going. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I just thought that was like a thing. Um, I, I like this idea of killing for mercy, as you said. Um, so much of the death on this show is excessively violent. And at the time of his death, Finn represented Clark's innocence. He was the romantic love interest, although I think we all kind of assumed at that point that it wouldn't last. Um, and while I, I don't think Ilian represents either of those things for Octavia, I do think there is some connection to the value that each boy brought to their respective female counterparts. Finn helped Clark find some joy in, in their lot in life, and I think he reminded her of what they were surviving for. And I think, um, in turn, Ilian helped Octavia find herself again, and um, I think he helped her find out why she should keep fighting and keep living. And I, I don't think Octavia has learned how to enjoy herself again, but I think without Ilian, she would never have even found the path that she's currently walking on to get to that place. So the difference between these two deaths for me um, is I, I felt okay about Finn's death because it, it felt like the completion of that arc. And I, I am just so upset about Ilian's death because his character had so much more potential. Yeah, you know, as absolutely devastating as the scene was where Clark had to kill Finn, and it was, it was one of the best moments in this show. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, I think we can take a bit of solace in the fact that, you know, Finn was at least guilty in some way, but our our beautiful Ilian was really just a victim. He, 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 outside of the storytelling capacity, looking at this as like an actual world, his death just feels so senseless in so many ways. Um. You know, he's just one more victim of humanity's fight for survival. And sometimes it gets a little bit overwhelming to think about and kind of puts me in a bit of a funk because, you know, the human tendency to turn to violence is very, very real. And the show never lets us forget that fact. Um, But I do think one thing we can both agree on is that Kai Hansen brought so much depth to his portrayal of Ilian. And I think it would have been possible for his character to feel flat if the wrong actor played him. But Kai just nailed his performance from beginning to end. And we were so, so lucky to have him in this season. And I'm pretty sure I speak for both of us when I say that whatever he does next, I will be watching. Me too. Uh, so you're going to play Stay Oda, Nillian, and Kai, may we meet again. <laughs> we will meet again. I, any Anything you do, Kai, I'm there. Uh, as Echo shoots uh, at Octavia from her tower, Bellamy busts in and starts choking her. And just when we think it's all over for our plucky little murderer, Roan bursts in and breaks them apart. And when Roan finds out that Echo has been cheating, he banishes her from Asgata. And it's like, okay, I know you might disagree with me here. Even though she just killed Ilian and I hate her, I also felt really bad for her. Like, it's like when you watch your friend's parent yell at them in front of you. It's just, like, really uncomfortable, and she seemed so rejected. And I had this brief moment of uh, weakness where I, you know, sympathized because she looked like such a kicked puppy. No, I <laughs> felt bad for her, too. Um, not enough for me to care because I don't really care about anything now that Ilian is dead. <laughs> but I can see where she's coming from. I, I think part of the issue is that Echo doesn't do anything without thinking it through. So we know that she put a lot of consideration into the risk she was taking by, by cheating. And it, it was worth it to her to ensure her people's survival. And I, I think that comes from a place of good intentions. You can, you can be wrong even if you mean well. And that's sort of been Echo's M.O. all season. This was just the final culmination of all the wrong choices that made sense to her. So, yeah, we, we do feel bad for her. And I guess, you know, say what you will about Echo. She does truly care for her own people and she'll do anything for them, which I think, strangely enough, gives her more in common with Clark than most of us realized. And um, I think Bellamy is also about to realize that very soon this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm the I'm doing it all for my people excuse 
can ultimately feel a little thin, especially when we're seeing it from an antagonist point of view. But conversely, I, I do respect her for doing all she can to save the people that she cares about. It's it's really hard to, you know, truly fault someone for that. No, I agree. Roan asks Bellamy if he thinks Octavia can win, and Bellamy says that he wouldn't count her out. She's the girl under the floor, and she's survived harder things than this. So Roan says he'll tell Octavia how lucky she is to have Bellamy as a brother before he kills her. But Bellamy says that after Octavia guts him, Roan can tell her that Bellamy was the lucky one. And through it all, we see Octavia, you know, watching and hearing, finally, finally, not just how much her brother loves her, but how much he believes in her, which I think is all she's really ever wanted. Yeah, I mean, this this felt like a huge sigh of relief. Finally, Octavia gets this revelation about her brother, which will be the impetus for the rekindling of their relationship. I feel like we've been waiting for this for so long, and I'm just really glad it finally arrived. I was starting to worry that they were going to drag this out into the next season, and I'm so glad they didn't. Yeah. In this moment, you can see that last bit of Octavia's you know, misplaced anger at him totally just falling away. Like She gives this little gasp, and, and with that, it feels like she is finally ready to put all of that pain and hurt behind her and move on. And I have a ton to say about what I think is needed to satisfyingly wrap up her arc with with uh, Bellamy this season, uh, and really like the last two seasons. But I'm going to save it for next episode because I think that is going to it's going to set the tone for the reconciliation. Yeah, I agree. So after Gaia announces that only four warriors remain, we have um, Luna, we have Roan, we have Octavia, and we have this like poor red shirt. I'm not even sure what clan they're from because it's not important. Um, Kane tells Indra that he is sorry about Tree Crew. And when Kane thanks Indra uh, for teaching Octavia how to be a warrior, Indra says that a warrior has many teachers, including her war chief, and that if she wins, they'll see what she's learned. Yeah, so if Indra was being cryptic before with Octavia, she isn't being subtle anymore. Uh, It's obvious now that she has higher aspirations for what Octavia could and should do if she wins rather than just the act of winning itself. I like that it's Indra, the the paragon of a grounder warrior, who comes up with this idea for unity and a chance for peace amongst the clans, even even the clans that she despises, like Asgeta. Yeah, you know, I I think Ilian, Ilian, oh my god, I'm still, I can't let him go. It's hard. It's really hard. hard. I think Indra (laughs) um, wants Octavia to be better than her and and to be better than Cain, even to, you know, to rise above what each individual person has taught her. And seeing how deeply Indra believes in Octavia and how much she believes Octavia is capable of, it's incredibly touching. Like, she just, she has so much faith in her. Yes. Yes. I love how confident Indra is that Octavia will win. You know, so much so that from the very beginning of the conclave, she planted the seeds of leadership in Octavia. You know, betting that she'd be the one to help them grow. I love it. I do. I love them. <laughs> uh, Roan finds Octavia, but instead of killing her, he proposes a truce. Because now, after seeing the true stakes of this game... He has finally realized that he does care whether or not humanity survives, even if it's not his people. But after they kill Luna, may the best warrior win. I love that Ron ends this little speech by saying, until then, we're one clan. You know, again, emphasizing this theme of, of unity and just another instance of a secondary character calling up the idea of uniting the clans. Um, again, it's it's not like Roan is implying that long-term peace is the solution he's working towards here. You know, this is meant as a very temporary fix and a short-lived alliance, but I, I the idea is what's important, and it's another piece that helps solidify this idea in Octavia's mind. 
I also love how Roan is just, you know, practical to the end. Like, he comes to Octavia angry about the fact that she lied to him about the flame. And when she admits it and is like, yeah, I did it because you'd kill Gaia, he thinks about it for a second. He's like, yep, yep, you're right. I totally would have. And then it's like, fight over. We're done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, he's too functional for this show. He, he doesn't add enough conflict. But I digress. You do digress. <sighs> oh, Roan. <laughs> Um, we, we see this scene of Bellamy sneaking back to the Polis Tower when suddenly he's like jumped and kidnapped by a scary masked person. Remember when we were watching this the first time and I joked that this was probably Clark and then it was Clark? I mean, it wasn't Clark. I it would have been funnier if it was Clark. She ordered some. <laughs> it was ordered by Clark. I know. I, I really wanted to be like Clark in a, mask, in a mask, like ready to like take down Bellamy. I mean, like, she could totally do it. <laughs> oh, she totally. Of course she can do it. She can do anything. <laughs> Um, Roan and Octavia move to circle Luna just as she kills the, the, you know, red shirt grounder. Um, and Luna says that this isn't like the last time they fought because she's not wounded anymore. But Roan says the last time they thought they fought, he, he wasn't trying to kill her. And, you know, then they, they fight. And I have to admit, it is pretty awesome. Like, the choreography here is A+. plus. Oh, yeah. I think the coolest bit of choreography was when Luna just jumps into the air and strikes the red shirt grounder. It was just so savage and awesome. Like, especially because we don't usually get to see that kind of physicality from female actors in TV or movies that often. You know, it's usually the guy doing these, like, intense, extremely athletic moves. But Luna was just a bamf. Yeah, one of the best things about Roan is he's always paired up with these, like, tiny women, and then he loses. <laughs> I mean, I think the only person who really thinks Roan is an amazing fighter is Roan. <laughs> like, everyone else has a much more realistic idea about his fighting abilities. And, and that's not taking anything away from the ladies, because they really do kick ass. Hey, Roan is an amazing fighter, you know, for a guy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but just when it looks like Octavia and Roan have overpowered Luna... We get this perfectly timed plot device in the form of a literal lightning strike, which signals the start of the Black Rain. Of course. Of course. Um, Octavia runs to hide, but Octa but Luna catches Roan. And when Luna goes to cut his throat, Roan says that at least it would be a good death. But when Luna hears this, she decides to drown him instead. Okay, so I don't want to get into all of this again. <laughs> I really don't. But I, I only wanted to say that this, this would be one of those examples of sadism that I was referring to earlier. And now, now we can talk about Roan. Well, okay, but but this is like the one time I feel that Luna was overly cruel. cruel but um, but again, everyone freaking hates the Ice Nation. They're the worst. So to her, I'm sure Roan like has it coming. Um, I, I do like what she says here. I, I think they're probably the last rites for Flow Crew. The from water we are born to water we return. I don't think it's actually like said out of respect. I think it's more like she's kind of rubbing it in his face. But I'm still glad that we got to hear these words before the last member of Flow Crew died. And you know, with that, the, the king is now dead. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was actually going to say. It doesn't make me think she's suddenly turned soft, but I, I like learning all the different phrases that belong to each clan. And I will say again um, that this death hit me so hard and seemed to come out of nowhere. You know, I, I was more prepared for this one than for Ilian's death because I, I really didn't think Ilian was going to die. But I was I was still so shocked by this. And I kept thinking, no, he just he just drowned. He'll come back for sure. I mean, true. Like, after Ilian died, it did feel like all bets were off. But even after he drowned, I had a really hard time believing he was gone because it's like, did you did you really just kill off Zach McGowan? 
But um, apparently, yes, they apparently did. So. Yes, yes, they did. And, he, you know, he's another character that I felt like had so much more potential. Although you and I have been theorizing for a while that he would get killed off because, like I said earlier, his character is so practical. Um, and on a show that thrives off drama and tension, practicality is a plot killer. Unless you're Clark. Unless you're Clark. And then it's like practical to the bone. Um, and we, we did also predict that he – we did predict that he might be one of the main characters to die this season. Um. But I, I, he was another one that I just really, really, really didn't want to see go, you know? You have your Rones, and you have your Rileys, and obviously the Rones hurt a lot more. <laughs> what an elegant and succinct way to describe that. From now on, all the characters that I like will be referred to as Rones, and vice versa, Rileys. Hopefully we won't have any more Rileys on this show. <laughs> I mean, there are always going to be Rileys. Um... Luna chases after Octavia, who is hiding, and as Luna searches for her, she says that she thought the darkness had faded inside her, and that even though she stopped blaming herself, um, she now knows the truth is, if it were her or her brother in that arena, she'd wanted it to be her. So first thing, when Luna was stalking Octavia and she was looking at the wardrobe, like, all I could think of was the Pirates of the Caribbean scene. And I, I like fully expected Luna to whisper, we know you're here, puppet. Like this scene was so creepy. I, I mean, Luna like went full on serial killer here. Um, but luckily she went full on serial killer at the end of the episode, which means that the heroine gets the chance to, you know, kill her first. Yeah, true. Um, but yes, I would agree with the, especially with the wardrobe and yeah. like, it, the like the light. light falling across her face. Yeah. Yeah. The, like the light like, gradually like lowers as like the shadow like takes yeah. over. It was not a subtle reference. <laughs> hey, anytime you want to make a reference to the Pirates of the Caribbean, I am here for that. Uh, Luna sees a trail of Octavia's blood leading into a wardrobe, and as she approaches, she says that she ran from the conclave because she was afraid of what she truly was. And with that, she stabs the wardrobe. But when she opens it up, of course, Octavia isn't inside, and Luna gets a sword through the back for her troubles. Literally stabbed in the back. I mean, yes. She's, like, not at all figuratively stabbed in the back because she had it coming, for sure. Yes, she did. (laughs) Um, as Luna dies, Octavia says that she's wrong. There are people worth saving. Luna's just not one of them. Okay. So <laughs> let's get into this. You know, I think we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about each character who's died, and I, I do want to give Luna her due. Um, and aside from my other Luna complaints that I have that really only exist in this particular episode, I have to say that the way Luna died here was very disappointing for me. I am really not happy with the way in which they killed her off, specifically because of this piece of dialogue from Octavia. And I, I know you have a lot to say about this too, um, but I, I mostly just wanted to express that I don't think the show ever gave Luna the chance to properly develop. And it felt like they were always trying to go there with her, which they should have because she has so much to dig into. Um, but they never quite made it. And we, we talked about how Ilian and Roan also felt like they had a lot more potential. But I think the difference is that I don't think they spent enough time developing Luna in the first place like they did with Roan and Ilian. And that was a mistake, in my opinion. Yeah, as much as I can understand how Luna reached this point in her development, I am completely with you that there was so much more about her characterization in the show that it was just, like, left untouched. She... She truly was a one-of-a-kind character. I've, I've never seen anyone like her before, and that was really refreshing. Um, I, I did want to mention how much Octavia's last line here does not sit right with me. It, it definitely... It feels like a misstep in the writing, and I think it disregards all of the good that Luna has done in her life. Like, I, I wanted it to be more of a sentiment like, 
there are people worth saving. I wish you could see that instead of, you know, lumping Luna in with this like villain set of people who deserve to die because, you know, she's not evil. She's lost her way. And as we said before, she's finally become the victim of a broken system. But the line on a whole, it just really does Luna a disservice and a storytelling level. And I, I find that really irritating. But that said, everything about Luna's speech here at the end was brilliantly written and I loved it. I thought it was, you know, great from start to finish. Yeah. I I wonder if I would feel differently on the whole about Luna's actions in this episode if this line from Octavia wasn't included. I just think it solidified a seismic shift in the way the writers suddenly approached Luna. They they started out treating her like a complicated young woman who found a way to live outside the aggressive system she was raised in. Um, and, and here in this episode, they've turned her into a true black and white villain. And this, more than anything else, disturbed me. Yeah, I, there was a way that Octavia's line could have closed out Luna's arc and gave context overall to who she was as a person. But this line was not that line. No, it was not. But goodbye, Luna. Bye, Luna. We barely knew ye. <laughs> and Roan and Ilian. Yeah. Goodbye we to knew them all. a little bit better, though. I, I feel Luna is still a mystery. She's, yeah. Wrapped never... up in an enigma <laughs> tied with a riddle. Yes. Or whatever that is. <laughs> That's not what that is. <laughs> it's getting late, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, we see inside Polis Tower, everyone is waiting for the winner to show themselves. And who comes power walking into the room but Octavia? She is probably the last person anyone in that room was expecting to win. You know, except maybe Kane and Indra because they're sentimental like that. But (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what a bamf. That swagger. Just wow. It was, I mean, it was a pretty cool moment. It felt like, I have to say it felt a little cheap. Because it was so, like, cheesy. It was very cheesy. But also, it's, like, the kind of cheesy where you're like, yeah, that is still pretty cool. Even though it's, you know, you know, also cheesy as hell. It also reminded me, like, it was, like, the only other time this season, really, where I felt like they were, like, immediately referencing Lord of the Rings. Because it reminded me of when Aragorn... Burst. The only time this season? I said the only other oh, time. I was like, aside yeah, from never those. mind that giant, um, you know... <laughs> Cliff? Yeah, cliff scene. But other than that, um, no, I'm saying like this was the only time that those this felt connected to that. Yeah, I did feel like an Aragon. It was an Aragon. Why? Moment. I don't know why they keep comparing her to Aragon. Or sorry, Aragorn. 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 It's too much. Too many names. Too many fantasy. Names. <laughs> too many fantasy names. Um, because it, it's not like a very apt comparison. But maybe they just like think she looks cool. He looks cool. They Let's- look great in leather. <laughs> it's fine. They're they're both really good looking, dirty. Very very good looking, <laughs> dirty people. Uh, so Gaia announces that Octavia is victorious and the bunker belongs to Sky Crew, but Octavia says that she didn't fight for Sky Crew. She thought at first she was fighting for herself, but that wasn't true. She was actually fighting for everyone, and they're going to share the bunker and survive Prime Fire together. And here we are. This is the culmination of Octavia's arc this season, and I think it's going to be setting up a very different arc from her um, going forward. So she's she's finally put aside her pain, and she is deciding to live the way that Lincoln would have wanted her to. And when Indra tells Octavia that Lincoln would have been so proud of her, it was like the sun came out on her face. Yes, and, and you know, you can see the look on Indra's face, too. She's also so incredibly proud of Octavia, not only because she actually won this thing and has used her victory to initiate this semblance of peace that Indra was hoping for all along, um, but also because I think she can clearly recognize that Octavia's pain and her darkness, you know, they've subsided and, and that she's come out of this thing a lighter, 
stronger, happier, healthier person. You know, she's she's going to be okay now. And Indra has been watching Octavia suffer for so long. And just from a place of someone who cares about the other, this must have been an incredibly relieving moment for her. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to try not to rain on Octavia's parade here. Um, I, this was a great moment for her. But I, I still don't know if I believe that all the clans would really be able to get along long enough to stay alive in the bunker for five years. I think on occasion, this show does try to be a little optimistic about humanity. Like thinking <laughs> back to um, what happened with the culling. I think that could have gone a very different way and probably would have gone a very different way. But it is nice to see that kind of optimism very, very occasionally. <laughs> but um, as it happens... I, I have a lot of skepticism in general with the way that they are setting up Octavia here to be the leader of this, like, one clan. But um, we should definitely save that for a later podcast because that's going to be that's gonna be quite the discussion. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely going to be a big, big thing to talk about later on this season. So to wrap up this scene here, Kane tells Octavia that there won't be enough room for all of their people. But as Octavia says, it's Unity Day. And then she looks around and notices one person missing from the celebration – her brother, Bellamy. Uh, of course. Where could he be? Where are you, Bellamy? <laughs> then we switch to the bunker. Um, <laughs> Sky Crew is unpacking. Jaha is watching from my man Bill's office. Uh, so Jaha and Clark are both in Bill Cadigan's office. They are making plans, and we see Bellamy waking up in the corner. And when Bellamy realizes that Sky Crew is still in the bunker, he asks Clark if she agreed to this. And Jaha says that it was her idea. And as Clark says, we did what we had to do. So uh, Kane, Octavia, and Indra are outside the bunker, and they realize that Sky Crew has locked themselves inside and betrayed everyone. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, okay. Clark, Clark, Clark. <laughs> okay. I am going to announce what I think will be a very unpopular opinion, but I actually believe 100% that Clark made the best decision here, given the information she had. Um. I'm going to join you in the unpopular corner and say that I also agree that this was the right decision as well. And I'm very sorry to everyone who disagrees with me. <laughs> Which I'm sure is like most, most people. of the people. But uh, hear me out. So like I, I know it's hard to sympathize when Clark makes these kind of cold calculated moves. But we have to take a look at the facts. Like Clark has thrown herself over backwards and forwards to try to find a solution to save everyone. And yet at every turn, people have like spat in her face. So today she discovers that, you know, Luna has decided to fight in the conclave as well. And Luna declares that if she wins, she won't allow anyone in the bunker and all of humanity will perish. So when Clark goes up to Roan, you know, the one fighter Clark thinks might have a chance of beating Luna, Roan just completely rejects her and he rejects her offer for an alliance. And if we're going to be logical here, by all rights, Luna should have won this fight. Like Luna was the best fighter on that battlefield. And while I'm not entirely certain that Luna would have succeeded in um, shutting everyone out of the bunker, I'm also not entirely certain that she wouldn't have. So from Clark's point of view, she was facing what could very likely be the, the end of humanity and death for everyone. So she decides to save the one group of people who actually want her to save them, which is Sky Crew. And if it comes down to a choice between everyone dying or just everyone aside from her own people dying, there's not really a choice to be made there. Like what she did might not feel good on an emotional level, especially because we are armed with the knowledge that Octavia actually did win and it is now offering space in the bunker for everyone. But what Clark did was she she did the best thing she could to ensure that humans are still around to be around after Prime Fire. 
Yeah, I could not have said that better. And I, I think this can be succinctly summed up in the phrase, who we are and who we need to be to survive are very different things. There's nothing else left to say. We're talking about the extinction of the human race. And I think Clark may be the only person who really comprehends what that means and the scale of what they're up against. And that's like, it's, it is hard to comprehend the end of humanity. And there is a, a psychological um, instinct to deny I, I think it's really hard to be able to look that that massiveness in the face and and think logically about it. You know, I'm not blaming anyone else for not being capable of, of dealing with this like Clark is. I'm just saying that she might be the only one uniquely capable of, of handling this this well. Even if that makes her not so likable all the time. She's not likable, but that's what makes her good. Yeah. Um, so we can, we can definitely delve more into her decision in the next episode because they're going to talk a lot more about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I, I just had to say that, well, I don't agree with all the choices that Clark has made this season. This choice is not one of them. And I second that. So okay. yeah, end of the episode. Woo-hoo. Done. <laughs> Do you want to talk about favorite scenes? Sure. Um, you know, while there were so many great moments in this episode, my favorite scene, I think, was the last one where we discovered that Sky Crew has stolen the bunker for themselves because only the hundred can go from like this epic high, brave new world moment and then suddenly turn it around and just slap you in the face. And I love them for it. Yeah. I mean, that's like the height of drama. That's exactly what that is. <laughs> um, my favorite scene was actually the start of the conclave. Everything about the way they shot this was perfect. It's just a perfect piece of filmmaking and it achieved everything that it needed to do to make that opening sequence as intense and dramatic as it needed to be. And I thought it was awesome. Yeah. I I, I feel like now that we've talked about this episode, I want to go back and like amend my statement at the beginning of this episode that it wasn't my favorite. It still wasn't my favorite, but this was a really good episode. It was phenomenal. It was very strong. It was a different episode than the show usually does. Yeah. Um, It was just, it felt larger scale. Um, and there was a lot of fighting. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think overall, they they really nailed what they were trying to do. And I also think, like, if you think about how hard it is to give three character deaths their proper beat and the proper weight and the proper significance and not have them take away from each other or bog down the episode in terms of pacing, that's a very, very hard thing to do. And they just did it without a, you know, without a blink. It yep. was perfect. I totally agree. Um, what was your favorite line? Uh, my favorite line has to be where Indra tells Octavia, I may have taught you to fight, but who you fight for is up to you. Um, it's just, it was really powerful and really needed it. And it sets up Octavia's story arc in this episode perfectly. Um, I don't know how many times I've said it this episode. Their relationship is the best. And it really felt like it was bringing everything full circle. Yeah, I agree. My my favorite line is actually from Jaha. It was when Bellamy was like shocked um that she she let him you know do this and it was like it was her idea and even though I I can't stand Jaha and his smug face I I do have to say that this line was so powerful and it shook me there's there's so much going on here not only you know does it reveal who the real leader is not that this was still up for debate at this point um because it's Clark but it also conveys how much pride Jaha has in Clark's leadership abilities um not just from like this you know it's just like the sound of his voice he is loving this and I think he takes like a personal pride in the fact that she came up with this idea because it it comes from him and his teachings I yeah. think and I I just love this it was short and it was sweet but it was shocking I also do I, I like now that you brought up the whole like who the real leader is thing um I I love the fact that 
yes, Kane is still technically like the leader. I think I have now amended my statement before that they need to like just let go of that because it's clear Clark is the leader. I think they very much need Kane to be the leader because Kane is the likable one. But they need Clark to be the one who makes decisions. Right. She has to be the puppeteer. She has to be like, yeah, she's the one behind. She is like, Pulling you know, Oz. <laughs> she's Oz. Exactly. Um, okay, so next week's episode is called The Other Side. And I, I can't help thinking of Alice in Wonderland and the rabbit hole. Is that is that too much, do you think? Uh, I'm not quite sure I get where you're coming with there. I don't know. It's just something about The Other Side. I was thinking of, like, mirrors. I mean, I don't know. to, like, you know, do one more Harry Potter reference this episode. Yes, I it, was going to say that. It's very much like The Other Side of the Veil kind of thing. I thought it was too much Harry Potter. It's not. It's never too much Harry Potter. That would have been the third time I brought it up this episode. <laughs> well, I brought it up now, so we're you're not even even yet. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, But, yes, it's going, I mean, it's going to be intense. I think it's going to be a really, really hard episode. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, to be clear, we have seen it. Um, I think we all can realize that now. Because yeah. um, I have also tweeted about it and talked about like how much I was just like sobbing the whole time when I was yeah. watching it it was quite quite intense I just think it's gonna be um a, a, an interesting one to recap so I'm really looking forward to it yeah we haven't really talked about it too much yet no we're trying to like stay away from like you know moving forward with other episodes this season we haven't seen them all yet so <laughs> <laughs> um okay so again just a general reminder we are going to be late and tardy on all of the other episodes this season and we are sorry and that's the last time I'm apologizing about that I lied um, to them before. I said we weren't going to apologize about it anymore. <laughs> I, I made you a liar. Um, and so, yeah, that's our episode, guys. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That is S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at skycast, and you can find us on Tumblr at skycast.tumblr.com. You can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. So thanks for joining us on SkyCast, and we will be back soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.